Hello, everybody. It's uh, it's your boy Trader Joe's Kentucky Bourbon here. Um, back at you with another episode of the Thousand Ways Podcast. I straight up almost deleted this goddamn thing. Uh, I went back too far with Control Z, and it just disappeared. And I was pretty, pretty livid because there was an hour ten, you know, of just you know heartfelt good content out there, and and I was whoo. Almost lost my goddamn mind. But uh, thank you for joining us on another episode of the Thousand Ways Podcast. This episode was uh, me and, uh, and I had a cheerleader stop by. <laughs> you know what that means. But... She just kept fucking talking about herself and everything that she does. Because that's all cheerleaders do. Because they're conceited about themselves and only themselves. But this episode we talk about coaching mental athletes and what it means to be a mental athlete. Uh, you know, Megan, my cheerleading friend, she's had plenty of time with, you know, with athletes and develops them on a day-to-day basis. And me personally, you know, because of my budding career as a coach for a week, um, I've learned a lot, uh, in the, uh, in the last seven days. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's really just kind of stemmed over from what I would, what I've personally, taken in from watching you know watching athletes watching other weightlifters other teams you know and participating in other sports all that kind of stuff but uh yeah enjoy this episode if uh like i said if if you like it if you enjoy it just leave leave some leave some goddamn five stars at the bottom leave some reviews leave some stuff for me if you like the podcast just leave some five stars if you hate it leave five stars it's fine uh that means a lot more to me. And, uh, yeah, I, I, you could reach out to me, you know, email. You can find the emails in the description of the episode. Um, find the website. And uh, also, just to, to, you know, like I said last time, help me help you. Uh, I'm I'm open to doing, you know, technique analysis and, and that kind of stuff on Instagram or email, whatever, because I just want to get better at being a coach. So, just uh, help me out. Send me your weightlifting videos if you're a weightlifter. If you're not, send me your videos of uh, anything else because, you know, it's good to be a well-rounded coach in any sport. So thank you for that. Uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. This episode was fun. It was a kind of on-the-fly uh, last-minute episode because my, my dad's podcast episode, he would never got it to me. So I had to do something really quick, get something together for you guys. This one's coming out on Saturday, and uh, uh, no, not Saturday, Sunday. It's coming out Sunday morning, and uh, after you know, after you go to church, after you go to Sunday brunch, after you wake up and train. Hopefully, my and Megan's soothing voice, mostly Megan, because she talks a fucking whole lot in this episode. Um, hope it uh, soothes you on your relaxing Sunday morning while you're sitting, reading your newspaper, drinking your coffee eating your goddamn grapefruits uh that's a great that's a great morning so uh i'm gonna be training tomorrow heavy single sunday or i mean tomorrow's gonna be opener so that's gonna be fun i have a competition next weekend and uh yeah that's that's pretty much all about me uh and megan is still doing her cheerleading thing she's only she just came back and uh and she's a she's a cheerleading coach again, once again. Before she was just a boring, has been cheerleader. <laughs> now she's a 
boring has been cheerleading coach but she's coaching some good athletes and she's learning a lot and uh she wanted to share today and i thought it was a good subject and we just kind of talked about it so thank you and uh enjoy this episode Hey everybody, Megan's back. Hello. Can you speak into the microphone? How many fucking times do you have to do this to learn to speak into the front of the microphone? Is this better? Yeah. (laughs) You can't tell? Yeah, I actually can't tell. Well, hello everybody. Welcome back to another episode of uh, The Best Show on Earth. The Thousand Ways to Say the Same Thing podcast. Thank you. I love you. Welcome back. Uh, Megan, do you want to do the honors? Do you want to ask the people how they're doing? Uh, sure. How are you guys doing today? Now we just sit here awkwardly? As yeah, because they- <laughs> they're going to talk back. They're going to let everyone know. They're going to talk back into their cars and office things that they listen to. But uh, everyone's doing... I, I hope everyone's doing good. Because remember, if if it's not... If it's going good, that's great. And if it's not going good, it does get better. Don't worry about that. Right? How are you doing, Megan? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Just had some protein, stretched earlier. Yeah. Who? What kind of protein? Um, Earth-fed muscle. Earth-fed muscle. This is not a sponsored ad. It's not. Not yet. Not yet. I need to get those hitters to <laughs> just be like, hey, everybody, this this podcast brought to you by Earth-fed muscle. I hope. Like, I'm going to try that. <laughs> uh, today, 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 we are talking about... What do you? What, what are they called? We're talking about the kind of athletes that walk up to a bar or set up for a pass, and they just kind of stand there, wiggle their toes around, and think about it for too long. And then when they try it, they f- fuck it all up, right? <laughs> yeah, essentially. What is that called, Megan? Being a mental athlete. Now, what is a mental athlete? Uh, a mental athlete to me is an athlete that's underperforming in some way. What way is that normally? Um, either considering that I can only really speak from a coach's view in competitive all-star cheer. That's kind of going to be more where I come from. Um, to me, an athlete that most coaches would consider mental is a kid who stalls, doesn't throw a pass, starts to throw a pass and stops midway is acting in some way afraid of whatever's being asked of them. And I'm going to come right at you with my, uh, my USAW level one experience as a coach. And I've been a coach since Monday. So I've learned a whole lot since then, but, uh, I mean, I'll be coming at you with my experience as, as a weightlifter and, you know, members of, you know, members of, of teams that I've been a part of before, as far as like football and baseball and that kind of stuff, and uh, especially weightlifting, you know, because there's there's those kinds of athletes in in every every aspect of of every sport. Not even not even just sports. I guess you can really you know not being able to perform in a in an everyday situation, like you know, like putting together that PowerPoint for class. 
or putting out, you know, that, that writing or writer's block, something like that, where you're, you're just, you just don't feel like you're performing up to, to your standards. You know, that, that, that's how it can, it can definitely pertain to you that way too. But, uh, me personally, I don't know. What was I saying? What did I say about, what did I say about a, a You were just a talking a little athlete. bit about like mental athletes and how they can, it's not necessarily like being mental can be applied in multiple aspects yeah, of your it's, life. It's not. So being, being a mental athlete to me and the things that I've experienced, just the way that I've kind of seen it is not necessarily fear based. It's, it's not being, you know, an athlete isn't just scared or I guess it could somehow come back to being scared. I guess we'll find out as we, as we go on and talk about it. But you know, a lack of, I would say a lack of trust in, in their leadership, a lack of trust in their own ability, you know, that, that self-confidence issue, what else, you know, they tend to just be overthinking a lot of stuff for stress in general. Just, there's a lot of reasons why an athlete could just be underperforming, why they can be considered in their own feelings or in their own head about stuff. So Megan, I, I want to hear from you and why, why you think something like this happens. Why do you think this is a, this is one of those things that affects everybody or at least a handful of people. Right. Uh, to me, this, this is something that I've newly been, I've always been interested to know how I wanted to get into the mind of what's considered a mental athlete, mainly because I, if I really was to ask any coach what they would consider a mental athlete is, I tend to fall into the category of it. So when I started to coach again, my goal was to really get into the mind of what it meant to be a mental athlete and how I can have an impact on helping these athletes overcome whatever it is that's causing that for them. So for me, it's 100% fear-based. And usually when a kid, and again, this is me speaking from a, from a cheer standpoint because that's really the only experience that I have in coaching. Um, for me, when a kid is underperforming and they have a mental block, it's fear-based. So my goal in that in that situation is to target what exactly is stemming that fear where is that coming from is it from a lack of confidence because they haven't done enough reps to be consistent in whatever skill they're throwing is it from a previous injury or from watching someone else get injured in which case it's a chemical reaction in their brain they're having to fight off because their body is naturally not allowing them to go forth in hopes that it's protecting itself is it simply a lack of trust with the process do they not trust their authority um do they not understand exactly what it means or the work that's going to go into the expectation that they've set for themselves and maybe they're trying something they're not ready for or they're thinking that it's going to take longer and they're they're faster than they expected it there's so much that comes into play um and sometimes you can go through that entire list and you come to realize it's simply just a switch Maybe that kid just needs to be reminded through drills about how to do the skill and then that circuit reconnects and they're back to being normal and doing their thing. So it's being able to identify where it's stemming from. And so to me, that's kind of, that's how this whole thing happens. That's where you start. You assess, you know, what's scaring them. 
you get them involved, you ask them, you know, what, what, what is it? What do you feel it is that blocks you on this? And you pay really close attention to their response to you because that's going to be the key to figuring out what exact formula you need to give them to help them overcome whatever is blocking them from moving forward. Well, with you, I mean, personally, have you ever had an instance where coaches come out of their way to ask you, what do you need to fix or how do you need to fix it? Has anyone, or have you ever approached a coach that way? And when I was an athlete? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I cheered back when I was, um, when I was younger, I went from, when I started, I started fairly late. So I had to go from, they totally just heard you yawn. (laughs) I had to go from, I wanted my expectation for myself was super high, but I had no clue what it really meant to get to the level that I expected to be at in the time frame that I expected to be there. So what ended up happening is like for the first few months I went in and I was working really hard and it wasn't happening as fast as I thought it was. And so I naturally was like, Oh, maybe I'm just not that good at this. But then our tumbling director at the time, Andre was just like, no, it's not that you're not good at this. You just, you just need some time. You need to develop the little muscles in order to do these passes. You need to develop, you need to do repetition so that you're able to be consistent when following through with connecting these passes. And so then that kind of clicked. And then once I was able to put two and two together, I went from being like really slow in my progress to skyrocketing. But that was something that I had to kind of experiment with. It was a lot of trial and error. Well, that's the name of the game though. I think really it's from, I guess from, from a weightlifting standpoint and, something that you gradually learn it's uh it's when you're testing things out on an athlete or you're coming to them with like programming or you're coming to them with you know different modalities on how to address an issue it's it's finding the things that work it's finding the things that work and don't work because if as an athlete you can't you can't do something and and your coach sees that realistically like you guys should be able to communicate to each other and, and let it like let each other know like totally i need to move in this direction this is the way this is what i can do right but it's not always as an athlete it's not it's it's really not your responsibility 100 percent. true and like that it's actually great that you said that because in my case i'm working with kids so a lot of time dumbass kids yeah <laughs> a lot of time stupid kids <laughs> don't know what to do Oh, yeah. Well, that's it. A lot of times they they don't know. I can go up and ask them, like, you know, what do you, what do you feel like is causing you to feel this way? And like, I like turtles. And they, yeah, and they're just like, I, I don't know. I just stopped. And the crazy part about it is why? Why did you stop? Why? And so that, but that, that's the way of the game. You have to figure that out. And that's what gets me so excited is, like, there is nothing more exciting to me than getting a kid who has a mental block. And having to figure out how to speak their language and how to break it. Stupid kids. <laughs> and how to get in their mind and how to see what works and what doesn't work and get them involved. Like that process is so much fun because you really don't know. Um, and so when a kid comes to you and they don't know, it is then your job to assess where they're at, start to pick up. It's, again, a lot of trial and error. Start to pick up what seems to fuel them and what seems to make it worse. Um Try to see what they like. You can give them what they like. 
and then try to see the things that scare them a little bit more and find a happy medium. It's really just figuring them out. <laughs> when I was, when I'm thinking, because obviously I'm thinking about the future and thinking about like when I open my own gym and do all that kind of stuff. Like I was telling you about how at first, like the first athletes, like every time someone comes into the gym or if they want to be a part of whatever team that I start, whatever team I have, like I want them to sit down and write down their goals and mm. write out what it is that they want to achieve. That way we have something definitive. I also want them to take that love languages test, the, the five love languages. That way I have a better sense of like who these kids are, like who right. these people are and like just who these athletes are. Like what do they respond to? They respond to like acts of service, um, like acts of service, like acts of, I guess you change it. It wouldn't be love, like acts, <laughs> physical, of, touch. acts of physical touch. Yeah. <laughs> no, it'd be like, you know, words of affirmation or you know, acts of service, like doing something like that kind of stuff. Like just trying to get, trying to figure out what makes them tick. Cause I think not only is like, as a coach, you're not sitting there, you're not sitting there. You're not only coaching their body, like you're coaching their mind. Like you can have an athlete who from start to finish is the greatest athlete that he could possibly have does everything right in training can train as a fucking training all American do everything in training and then they get to the platform and, and or they get to any sort of thing and then they just fuck it all up like and they they what's, break what's, under pressure yeah so like what's happening to there me, to me that's confidence and how do you fix that so here's the thing as you look at it and it would be so easy for a coach to take an athlete who um, you know is great in training is hitting all these PRs is consistent gets on a platform you know, doesn't things don't go as planned, underperforms. Um, it would be so easy for a coach to be like, oh, they're just a mental athlete. They just don't have it or whatever other excuse you have in the book. I call total bullshit. And the reason I do is because if you look at the things that we do with our bodies over time. Wait, Megan, say, say, that, say that bad word again. I heard all my male listeners just kind of perk up when <laughs> a girl said a bad word. Shush. Um no, but it would be so easy for a coach to just put a Band-Aid on it and be like, that is what it is. I think it's because it's like, easier that it's way. It's so easy. Because you can, you can fix a bad back squat. You right. can fix a bad pull off the ground. Right. Well, you, can't, you can't fix a, like, you can't fix a, why do you, like, why are you nervous? Why are you un- not confident? It's a whole different It's not as easy. It, it's, not, it's not easy. It's, right. It's, and it's, I that's think a it's, whole different thing. Right. And I think it's tough for coaches because they don't. They want to help. They want to be that person who's able to figure this out. And if for some reason it's not working, sometimes they can get discouraged and just think like it's like this is what it is. That's not the case. You just haven't figured it out. You need a goddamn degree in like sports psychology on the back end. That's why Bailey's going to be such a good coach. Right. And so it's like you just have to figure out. You're, You're not failing as a coach. You're not failing because you haven't figured it out. You just haven't figured it out. But to doom that athlete mentally weak isn't fair. Because it's not that the athlete's mentally weak. The athlete just needs look at where it's stemming from. It's a lack of confidence. How do you fix that? Consistency through repetition. You take them back in the gym and you have them do it a bajillion times. To the point that even when they do it wrong, it's still right. Or even if they're scared, 
they still move the bar in a way that gets it where it needs to go. See, that's good in theory. I I understand what you're saying as far as like repetition and repetition, repetition until mm-hmm. they can do it right. But some things you can't emulate in in a in a training setting. Like you can right. you could take them through any fucking like opener day and like for people who don't know real weight like real like weightlifting terms and that kind of stuff usually a week or two before your competition you do openers so you'll hit the numbers that you're supposed to hit on the platform for your first attempts and go through that a week or so before to to basically do what make it same build that consistency now that's all fine and dandy like there's there it's it's good those like the, but that's training you're surrounded by people that you like your teammates and all that stuff there's some things you can't emulate like competition like right. like that competition feeling people watching you that kind of right. stuff so how do you tackle that what is what do you do in that situation if it was me if i and this is me i'm going to speak from an athlete because i don't feel i have the experience as a coach as a weightlifting coach in this area but as an athlete what I would do, well, I mean, it's easy for me to say because that was exactly my issue, is I would train well and then I'd get on a platform and... Are you talking about weightlifting, right? Yes. Okay. This is me talking about weightlifting. I'd get on a platform and it would never go as planned. And that was not the athlete I used to be. In cheer, I was never that athlete. So it was a very foreign thing for me. I, I didn't recognize myself. And the only thing that fixed that, and I mean, in complete honesty, to me the only indicator that it's getting better was actually our last meet. So I think the next meet we do is really going to be the tell-all. But um, what's fixed that for me is just competing more, just getting the experience on the platform. That has built my confidence. And there's multiple ways that you can do it. Um, But I think that that's just one way. But that's a solid point. You're absolutely right. Maybe doing it in training is going to make you better at the movement, but maybe it won't solve the issue that you don't do well in a an actual meet setting. Yeah, like with a bunch of people watching you. Totally. Like, it's a whole different feel, and then yeah. you have adrenaline in the mix. So now you have to figure out how to calm your nerves, how to move well, and how to do it with a whole crowd of people watching just you. Do, so just do drugs. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but so that's a solid point. But that just comes, that's trial and error. So now I know, like, okay, just doing reps over and over in training is not all you need. You have to face this. You need to make sure to be doing, even if it's little meets, like maybe that means that you go to three meets in a four month span and two of those meets, you're not hitting your best. You're just going six for six just to get platform time. That's being intentional, which is something that I was actually going to go into. Um, Everything, whatever it is that you decide to do to help, fix whatever stemming the issue that is preventing you from performing to what you consider your standard, it has to be intentional. Everything you do. It comes down to planning, how you train, and that comes with training smarter, not harder. And I don't mean don't actually not train hard. I mean train hard, but train what needs to be trained. Target your weaknesses head on. So like with the kids that I work with, if I know that there's a pass that's really holding them up, I will have them do everything they're good at and then I will go straight to a drill that involves the exact pass that scares the shit out of them. And if that's not working, I involve them in the process and we try something else that is similar but still allows them to keep the confidence of prior skills that they can do. Oh, I was totally going to start talking about skills, but nobody's going to know what I'm saying, so I'm not going to do it. But 
it's all trial and error. Whatever you do, you have whatever game plan you come up with, it has to be intentional the entire time or you're just doing random shit. What happens when you keep getting the same result? Change it. If you're getting the same result, whatever you're doing isn't working. Or maybe it's not fixing the one area that you're focusing on, but it is improving another. Everything you do is going to work in some way, but if you're targeting one specific weakness or two or whatever weaknesses you are pinpointing, you make a program around those weaknesses. Yes, you're just overcompensating for the things that you lack in. Totally. You just got to be well-rounded. Right. And sometimes, maybe in order to tackle those weaknesses head-on, this is going to be a whole different approach than what I just said. Maybe sometimes as a coach, you need to be like, you know what? I know the pressure of throwing this skill over and over and over is only going to make you more mental. Let's step away from it and let's go do something you know. Let's not even readdress it. Let's go do something that you know. Let's have fun. Let's make it light. Or you can change the whole approach of the skill itself. So something that I'll say to kids is, let's say I'm going to try to make this really (laughs) standard so people don't get lost, but... Let's say the kids are working on a level three skill. To them, this skill... What is a level three skill? It's a tuck, so a backflip. So they are now flipping without hands. So that is... But usually it's after... Okay, no, that's too much. So yeah, it's just a tuck without hands. So what I'll say is as opposed to making this skill such a big deal, and this only works with some kids, some kids it won't, but instead of making this skill a big deal... For example, saying like, oh, I can't wait for you to get this skill. I can't wait for you to finally connect this skill. You could say something like, this is a warm-up for your level four passes. All of a sudden, they're thinking, oh, I'm not going to end my career as a level three athlete. I'm learning the warm-up for the next level, which I'm fully ready for. And it shifts their mindset. I had a kid come in who, uh, who is... Clearly, in all other aspects, at least a level four, possibly level five athlete, but she is stuck on a level three skill. What are level four and five? Uh, level four. Oh, goodness. So level three is introducing tuck. So kids know they're now flipping without hands. And level four is now introducing layouts. What is that? So it's a backflip, but with a straighter hollow body position as opposed to like being in a tight ball. Okay. Does that make sense? They're kind of like a dolphin, like a long dolphin instead of like a... <laughs> instead of like a ball. Instead of like a bent dolphin, right? Okay, sure, yeah. So one of them, so they're both, you're now, you have now taken your hands off the floor and you're connecting that. Yeah. But um, one is a tuck, so you're just learning how to backflip and get off the floor. And the other is now you know how to backflip, we're going to straighten you out. That's level four. Yes, level four. Okay, and then level five. Level five is now you're twisting. So now you know how to backflip without hands and keep a hollow body all the way through. So that, now we're going to twist So you. that fucking dolphin is doing flips and shit in midair. Twisting, but, yes. Twisting. Right. Like back, like backflip twist. Yes. With in a, in a straight line, not a ball. Right. Okay. Good job. Yeah, so she is totally ready to move on to foals, which is level five, because she could do a layout, but she's stuck on a tuck. So you think about it, any coach would be, this would be the prime candidate for a coach to say she's a mental athlete. I worked with her only a couple times just to kind of assess and see where she's at. 
she came and she was like, you know, I'm having a really, a really rough time with standing tuck. So the, the running tuck was one thing, but standing tuck she had, which is very different because a standing tuck is a higher skill. She came back and she's like, I don't know what happened. I just lost my standing tuck. I'm like, what do you mean you just lost your standing tuck? She's like, I can't. She just can't do it. I, I don't know what it is. I, the switch is off. She forgot it. Totally. And so it would be so easy for me to be like, oh, look at this mental basket case. Like she's, she's just, she's a mental with tumbling. No. All that happened is that her body forgot how to do it. She needs to be reminded. What do you do? You do five in a row. What do you do? You have her do five onto a mat. So that by the time she goes back onto the floor, it's even easier than it was on the mat just to get her body to feel it again. And then I use the whole tactic of, tactic of um, or sorry, the approach of, look, this isn't your highest skill. This isn't a thing. This is a drill that you're going to do to prepare you for level five. All of a sudden, she was able to throw it by herself again. She's not a mental athlete. She's just a kid who, for some reason, the, the switch turned off, and I you have to figure out how to turn it back on. The second that you identify your athlete as a mental athlete, because they trust you, which is something else that you mentioned, which is so important, they're going to believe and identify with what you say they are. So if you tell them every day, this isn't a thing. You're like, if you just, you speak words of affirmation and tell them who they are, they're going to believe it after a while. Even if they don't in the beginning, they will with time. But if you tell a kid over and over, you're being a basket case, you're mental, they're going to start to believe it and it's going to become the new norm. They're going to, they're going to start to expect that from themselves. So the answer finicky part about being a coach in any situation is the fact that you're responsible for the development of people. Right. That's the hardest thing that you could possibly do. Like if you're, if you like just being a manager of a store or just in charge of a person, you know, or a couple people, you know, and that's something, that's another thing that I've done. That's one of the hardest things that I've had to do because I could sit there and tell them all day, Hey, do this, do that. And they do it. Right. But when it comes down to, when it comes down to, having them be like willingly responsible and, and wanting to work. That's, that's a different thing because these, you know, these kids have different stressors in their life, different things in their life. They're worried about school, worried about other stuff. And it's, right. it's like dealing with people. So taking it to an athletic standpoint where you're coaching somebody or instructing somebody on what to do, like you, you really have to be serious about it because if you do or say the wrong thing, like you can do and say all the right things, they can get as like as good and like as good as they can possibly can. But you say one wrong thing, and that could be it. Like that could. Well, and I think that's kind of a that's a tricky one because I don't think it's that black and white. Because if you think about it, in my perspective, the greatest coaches failed over and over. They failed over and over. It was all trial and error. So for me, for me, um, I'm in this place where I am trying to figure out the mind of kids with mental blocks and how I can learn how they think and every athlete's different. So 
I can spend all this time for months working with this one athlete and figure them out, but it's a complete new slate when I move on to the next. And that's what I think is so exciting about it is because you never, it's never the same. It's never going to be the same formula. It's never going to be the same game plan. And that's so much fun to me. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that I have to be open-minded. I have to be willing to listen to my athletes. Sometimes what you feel is best for your athletes is not what they need. And for a lot of coaches, that's really hard to hear. And for me, pers- I'm saying it to you, but that's really hard for me to apply. Because for me, I see a kid and I'm like, oh, I see what's wrong. We're going to do these drills. Like this is going to be what fixes this for them. This is going to be the key to helping them get this pass or whatever it may be. And they could come to me and simply, you know, if I can involve them in what I feel, I'm sorry, I can involve them in the process of like, oh, what am I trying to say? I can ask them what I think they think they need. And sometimes that answer, just because it came from them, is going to be 10 times more productive than the idea that I had in my head simply because they're involved. It's a total mental thing. For example, the same kiddo that I worked with on her standing back, I was like, you know, what do you, what do you want to work on? What do you feel? And she was like, my set. I want to fix my set. And so that is that was our intention the entire session we're going to fix your set because it came from her she paid so much attention to it that she completely forgot that she was scared of the skill so by the time I asked her to walk over and do it by herself she was so focused on fixing her set that she forgot that she didn't have the skill anymore and then she threw the skill by herself but for me I could have been like okay it's really not your set it's the simple fact that your feet are behind you In which case, I'm going to have you start tucking onto a panel mat just so that you have a little bit less time to land on the floor so that when we move you back to the floor, you have more time, which is going to get your feet underneath you. Sorry, that was so much tear that nobody's going to understand. But do you kind of see what I'm saying? But I think it's different because, well, I mean, it's, I guess, both in both solutions in that, both solutions in that situation are technically correct. Totally. You know, because you technique like you as a technical you know a technical coach trying to critic like critique her on her technique you're what you're saying to do is is obviously right that would help her and then her bringing it to your attention i think it's it's right but it's more powerful it's more powerful and meaningful for her because it's what she brought to your attention is what she thinks that she can work on right or she needs to work on it's just yeah, as far as mentality, as far as mentality and trying to work it out and trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, obviously her saying that, bringing it to your attention, it, it's it's powerful. You know, it's getting her through those mental blocks. But neither one of those situations is, is wrong. Right. Because both things in the end could help her no matter what. Yes. No, you're totally right. Because you could have another athlete who doesn't know what's wrong. In which case, <laughs> your job. Idiot. Stupid kid. <laughs> in which case, it's your job to say... This is what we're going to do. This athlete in particular, because she is, she doesn't know how good she is. Yeah, so advanced. She's so advanced that she doesn't know that she knows what she needs. Yeah. 
And so to help her realize that is going to help build the confidence so that she can connect the circuit to throw it again. So here, But it's part of just knowing your athletes. You have to figure that out. And it takes, it takes a second. So let me ask you a question. So in this situation, because human beings are not perfect at all, do you think that the way that you approach it, the way that you approach coaching, the way that you approach the way you coach your athletes, do you think you're at fault for like, I would say projecting, just projecting the way that you feel on, on athletes or like the way that you have previously been coached or as an athlete have previous experience, like in, in cheer or in weightlifting, are you, are you coaching them solely as, are you coaching them solely as someone who's looking at them or is it harder to step away and like, is it harder because you're emotionally invested? All right. Okay. Wait, let me, I, I'm not sure. Okay. Are you asking like that more was, so? That was a really complicated no, question. No, no, no. I'm no, I, I like where you're going. So are you asking like, am I, am I coaching? Are you coaching the way that you wanted to be coached when you were, oh, it, good you were question. an athlete? Or, like, am I, you, or, or am I coaching to what they need? Yes. Okay. So I think that when I first started coaching, when I was like, oh, like 15, 100% coached the way that I thought, like what I needed is what I did. And I think it's I, part of me think like understands like, because you're doing something like that, yes. it's because of the fact that you have such, you have no experience. Well, and that kind of goes back. Yes, exactly. And like, even now I have way more experience in cheer in particular. Um, and I've grown so much, but I know there's so much, I don't know so much. I don't know. Like, I've scratched the surface, especially in just this area, and that's so cool to think about. Um, but I think that when you coach, you have to be extremely mindful of that. Now, with that being up, uh, you, you have to be mindful of why you're doing it and your intent behind the goal as to what you're trying to do with these athletes. So. I actually do think that every athlete is going to project how they wish to be coached because they felt those emotions and they don't want their athletes to feel those emotions if they didn't like what they felt. Does that make sense? However, I think that you have to be careful of that because sometimes how you wanted to be coach, coached at one point may work for some athletes and it might be relatable, but the athlete that you're working with doesn't operate the same way. So you have to, like, I'm an athlete where if you yell at me in the moment and you tell me to just, like, if I'm going for something really heavy, it works for me for you to yell at me to get it done. I have some athletes where if I was to just yell at them to go, they would, they would, they would freak out, they would stall, and they would cry. Stupid kids. Josh. <laughs> fucking idiots. You're awful. Stupid um, idiots. But... That's what I mean. It's like not, and so what worked for me, I liked that. So if I was to only apply that to every that, athlete guys? that I worked with. You hear that, fellas? Megan likes getting screamed at. Stop. I liked that. So I don't even want to say it again. So. <laughs> send her videos on Instagram, just screaming Caesar. at her. But just because I responded well to that doesn't mean that this kid that I'm working with is going to respond well. Yeah. And that's something I have to be really mindful of. And you catch you catch on because i've had kids where i have been very direct and assertive and like this isn't a thing you need to go 
saw their reaction and immediately realized that's not going to work with this one. See, and that's why I, I brought it up earlier right. where it's like you you should, like, if you're going to do that and you want a good sense, like fucking have them take that quiz. You have to. Figure out figure out what the, which way you can connect with them because if, you know, if some kids, if some kids react to words of affirmation mm-hmm. where you're like, okay, and, and they respond to words, you have to be good. Like you have to be careful in the good words that you use. And especially the bad ones. Exactly. You know, if the if you if you do something like, yeah, like acts of service, it's uh, it, like acts of service or acts of love, whatever it is. And this don't love your athletes. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> but like acts of service, like what's a good way that you like? What's something that you can do for an athlete that shows that you care about them or that you that right. you care about the fact that they are progressing? Right. Like what can you do? What can you do, Megan? I'm asking. Oh, oh you. you're asking me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so you're asking, like, what would you do if somebody's love language was acts I, let's, of service? Let's not call it love language. Let's call it their athletic yeah, their that's athlete probably good. language. Like, what, what works with them? Yeah. Like, if it's um, words of affirmation or, like, acts. What are the love languages? It's words of affirmation, acts of service, physical touch, quality time. And there's one more. Uh, g- giving gifts. Yes, that's right. Okay, so yeah, I guess so. Don't touch your athletes. No, don't, but I, but no, no physical. But <laughs> for kids, I know this is not going as planned. And so, no physical touch. And what was the other one that was weird? Uh, giving gifts. No, the other one. Acts of service. No, the other one. Words of affirmation. Other one. Literally, there's one more. What I don't remember. What are they? It's. Words of Quality time. Quality. Okay. Quality time is. No, quality time is necessary. Yeah. Okay. You have okay. to get so, to know, so maybe like. Don't touch your athletes, okay. everybody. Don't do that. Okay. Don't do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's other ones. So it's like, yeah, words of affirmation, have, like affirming what they're learning and what they're not right. learning. Quality time. Yeah. There's times where you can spend quality time as a team. There's quality times when. Um, it's just one-on-one in a session. Yeah, exactly. Something yeah. like that. You know, gifts, gifts, I guess would be. The weird one where it's like like what would you like? it could be journals yeah it's like your mission is to go get a journal and you could gift them with like stickers for every time that it could be something so little but that's not really common that specific love language or for an athlete it's not athlete language yeah whatever we would call that it's not common i guess you can do like I guess you can do touch if you give them like a high five. Well, no, it could be spotting. Give them a high five. Or it could be a hug. Like, good job. I'm really proud Don't of you. Don't hug your athletes. You can stop. Don't ever hug your fucking athletes. Don't ever do that. Just give them high fives. <laughs> or high fives, whatever it is. But you'll Don't. figure it out. Don't and hug sometimes, them. like, all of those will contribute in some way. For confidence, you might need that kid who needs a little boost to be reminded of how good they are. Yeah. It's constant words of affirmation. Every little thing they do. Now, for other kids who the switch is just off, it has nothing to do with confidence. They just need to be reminded. Sometimes making the little things they do a big deal makes their mental block worse because now they think, oh, what I'm doing is a big deal. When in reality, it's not. It's a it's a little skill that you just forgot how to do. Now we're going to remind you and we're going to move on to what really matters. When you learn, when you learn how to do, like, like hopefully, I mean, and hopefully it translates over to every other sport, but. Like USAW, like their level one, the way that you critique somebody, the way that you coach somebody up, when something's wrong with their technique, 
the first, like the, the most important one is the one that keeps athletes safe. You know, it keeps them the safest and puts them out of harm's way of immediate harm's way, mm. you know? And when you do stuff and you're coaching them up, it, the whole point is to keep it simple, you know, keeping it simple. There's no point into, there's no point in putting something in your athlete's mind. That's, uh, you know, your athlete's mind, that's going to m- ultimately jam them up even worse. Right. Make sure it's all. And again, when and I that say goes, that goes with overthinking too. Yeah, and when I say athletes, I don't have any. I'm doing it from my perspective, um, on being an athlete and how if I had any athletes at this moment, I pff, how I would do it. Mm. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, and it took uh, in complete honesty. I didn't. I. It's another reason I'm so excited to start this process of working with these kids. Um who are battling these mental barriers right now because although I know or I have a I have a pretty decent idea um I really don't know and that's the whole fun of it what are you doing nothing what are you doing (laughs) reading all right what else I don't know what else I mean, that was pretty good. Yeah. Tell everybody about your training. What's going on? What's going on? Like with, with what? I don't know. With what, weightlifting? With or, your weightlifting or your, or your... Or with cheer? Your cheer, whatever. Whatever you care more about. I I care very deeply for both. Um, I'm in a pretty sweet place right now. I'm, I'm focusing on... I've been out of the coaching scene with cheer for a while. Um, and now being back into it. I've realized how much I've missed it and how much I love it and just being a part of something that's overall bigger than yourself is so much fun and I forgot how much that fuels my day-to-day life. So to be back in that scene is super fun. Uh, Cheering's going really great. Being a part of a team again and just feeling that dynamic of doing something together and you know playing your part as well as trying to lead by example and learn from these kids and try a whole new level. And it's just all, it's all super exciting. So um, obviously you like cheer more than you like weightlifting. Because you talked about that first and talked really in depth about that. No, I love weight. Weightlifting is a whole other beast. It's an individual sport. You know, it's just you and the barbell. And for me, it is mentally more. So let me ask you a question because that was something that we brought up mentally more what so sorry taxing okay now in a certain situation let's say you have a high performing athlete you have a high performing athlete in baseball weightlifting football cheer hockey whatever you know who's been at that level before who's been at that level before they've been at 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 the highest level that they can possibly be which is you know, professional or like Olympic level, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then they make a switch or something bad happens where they don't perform. What is that? Because it's not that, that to me doesn't seem like it's that much of a mental block or like a mental athlete. Like right. that person about when the switch goes off. Yeah. Like that person can't be a mental athlete if they've been at that person, they've exactly. been at that, that level before. Yes. And that's actually kind of a controversial, uh, statement. Why? Fuck those guys. No. Cause some coaches will say like, 
No, you don't, you don't go from being at that caliber to just not being at that caliber. And then you have other it's coaches. It's their fault. And right? They don't want so, to say it. <laughs> right. Or they just don't know how to get them back to where they were. And that's discouraging because when all you want is what's best for your athletes, it's hard to not get back to where they were at one point or get them back to where they were at one point. So it's so funny that you actually asked me that because um, I recently met there was a girl, both our gym director as well as, uh, well, our gym director, um, Summer, who is incredible. You know, she's done the whole the whole shebang. She's won worlds. She's, you know, taught camp. She has the experience. She has the knowledge. She's been an athlete. She's been a coach forever. Um, well, she also knows another lady who is also incredible, Callie Seitzer. I'm so sorry if I jacked that up. How's it spelled? Um, S-E-I-T-Z-E-R. Probably Seitzer. Oh, probably. Seitzer. Yeah. Whatever it is, she's also really incredible. And we just had this conversation and she kind of, she was the one who kind of introduced me to, we talked about mental training and all these different things where the fear could be stemmed from, um, or whatever else it could be. And she was like, you know what? You can go through that whole list. And sometimes the switch just turns off. And I was like, well, what do you mean by that? And keep in mind, this is a woman who was one of the top athletes in the industry. Like, she was on every elite team that you can imagine. She's won worlds. She's, you know, led her own teams to world championships. She's taught camps all around the world for the last, like, seven years. Like, her knowledge is insane. Um, so she could throw any pass you gave her. She could fly any stunt you gave her. And she said that there was one day when she walked into the gym and... She couldn't throw a double. I believe it was a double. Whatever it was, she couldn't throw a skill. Just one day. No reason for it. Just one day. And it made her so upset because you would think, oh, this is an athlete of this caliber. Like, she's obviously not mentally weak by social standards. She's She's not physically weak. She's not physically weak. So, like, what? And she performs under pressure, obviously. So, what is this? It's not a lack of confidence. Like, what happened? And she said... Literally, the switch just turned off and I had to go to a gym and I had to reteach myself. It doesn't take very long and sometimes it might, but I had to remind my body how to go through the movement. The second that that circuit reconnected and that switch turned back on, I was Callie again. She goes, I can't explain it, but until that happens to you or until you experience that for yourself, it's extremely hard to relate to these kids or to other athletes who experience the same thing. Or something similar. And it's just, it's so crazy to think about because it doesn't make sense. When someone says, oh, the switch just turned off. You're like, what does that mean? What does that mean? How do we flip it back on? Like, flip it back on. And they can't. All you can do is give them the drills and the exercises to remind their body how to do it. And remember, it's not on your timeline. A lot of times coaches will give these athletes a timeline oh, you've done this cycle, you should be hitting these numbers by this time. Or, oh, you've done all these drills, we've had all these private sessions, you've built the muscles, you're connecting it, you should be throwing this on floor. That's not my job. It's not your job to tell a child when to throw the skill. It is to best prepare them so that when they're ready, they will. Another part of that is introducing what it means to be afraid. A lot of times people will associate fear as a negative thing. They'll look at fear and be like, okay, a child's afraid to do a skill 
they must be mentally weak or they must have a mental block of some sort, blah, blah, blah. And they probably do. But you have to remember, fear is a very normal part of how we live. Fear is the best motivator and it's the best teacher you can possibly have. Fear is what's going to take you from an average athlete to a great athlete. You have to be afraid in order to step out of your comfort zone and be uncomfortable and be unfamiliar and do something different. And so when these kids are afraid of something, when you have coaches that immediately are like, oh, you're being a basket case, oh, you're being mental, they identify that fear is something negative and they think, I shouldn't be feeling this. When that's not the case, you're feeling exactly what you're meant to be feeling. Now let's use it to our advantage. And you give them whatever time they need to learn how to do that so they can execute the skill and be the athlete that they're meant to be. But that's all in their timeline, not yours. Wow. That was (laughs) profound. See, a couple different things, a couple different notes on your goddamn thesis over there. Uh, one, I think, you know, the, the funny, cause you said it twice, one with, one with Callie and then the other one with your other athlete, the one who didn't learn how to, she couldn't backflip like a dolphin anymore. Right. <clears throat> it's like, you guys keep saying the word switch. You guys keep saying the word switch like it's like, like a light switch, you right. know, like a light switch, but. When you, when the power's out in the house, when the power's out in the house and the light's not turning on, right? The switch isn't turning on. It's not the switch that you go and check on. It's, it's, it's the, it's the board outside. Exactly. It's, it's the, it's It's the, it's the breakers. It's the power source. It's the breakers. It's the breakers, like the bigger part. Like if you think about fixing, if you think about fixing the switch, the only thing that gets fixed is the switch. And sometimes like with that, it's not even going to turn on. Exactly. You have to go back and you have to look at the breakers. You have to look at the, the actual thing that controls everything else. Right. So it's, it's bringing it back to basics and looking at it, uh, looking at everything that you've done, looking at, looking at everything that you've done, looking at, at, at the pyramid that you built, looking at the big stepping stones at the very bottom. It's going back to that. And eventually flipping all of, you know, turning, like flipping those breakers so the switch would work again. Right. That's one. Mm-hmm. Now, touching on why it's possible, I guess it still works with fucking electricity. Oh, shit. Look at me. I'm a goddamn genius. <laughs> look at you. Most times, especially in the summertime, when it gets hella fucking hot like it is in this goddamn room right now. <laughs> The reason why, the reason why your power typically goes off or your power, you know, there's a power outage or your breakers will flip, you know, I don't know. I'm not an electrician, but mm-hmm. most times when there's a power outage, you know, the, the reason why is because of overuse mm. and that extra stress. Right. Now, and again, I keep going back to level one because I learned a lot there. <clears throat> the way that Coach Waxman had explained it to me, and I think it's it's a very... It's a very good way of, of explaining stress and the way it stresses effect in the body. It's think of, you know, think of yourself as, as <laughs> look at yourself in a mirror, take a Sharpie and draw a big fucking bucket on your chest. And now in your eyes, 
you know, in your eyes, you can color in that Sharpie, you color in that bucket on your chest with Sharpie as, you know, as far up as you need to as your stress level. Like, what are your stress levels? Like, you have work. I have, have I have bills. I have right. school. I have other athletes. I have all this. Right. All that stuff tends to add up and add up and add up and add up. And there's two different kinds of stresses. There's distress and eustress. Distress is bad. Right. Distress is usually the stuff that fucks with you in your head, which is job, you know, bad stuff that happens in a relationship, bad work, you know, friend, bad friendships, right. all that bad stuff. Right. And then eustress is positive stress. Now... Both stressors are going to affect you and they're going to, in turn, like in turn, fill that bucket. Right. As a coach, as a coach, you have to know where, where to fill that lineup on an athlete. You know, you, if you're looking at, looking at an athlete developing, you need to know where their stress level starts and begins how much stress they can handle, how much they can't, you know, what are they already dealing with, and then what are you throwing in on top of it? Because ne- only negative stuff happens when that bucket starts to overfill. Right. Now, I was talking to some of my other co- like my coworkers today, was talking to, to the Irish Iceberg and, and little Cowboy Santi about it, about that same thing, and it's sometimes you don't have coaches to tell you. Sometimes you have to sit there and do it yourself. You right. have to evaluate your own stress levels and think about what you can handle. Right. Because the same thing happens is when when you start, you know, when you start overfilling that bucket, like you start burning out. Mm-hmm. You know, like personally for me, you know, having to put out two or three podcasts a week on top of training, on top of that manager job, on top of driving, on top of everything I had to do. Shit was falling through the cracks and stuff that was really slipping was like personally like my training and then my diet and all that kind of stuff. And then I finally took a step back and was like, I can't do this job anymore. I'm going to do the things that make me happy, that that cause me good eustress instead of that distress. So I took that step back. I took that step back from work and now it's an even balance. I can honestly say that I feel different. I feel that that difference in, in my attitude. Now... Going back to, you know, going back to those high-level athletes, those high-level athletes that have been in that situation before, most of the time, I can, most of the time, this is just me personally, I, I can't see them physically failing. I can't see them mentally failing because of fear, because they've done that. Mm-hmm. I can honestly over, I can honestly say, I mean, physically ailing, like f- physically failing, they might be injured. They might be injured. But I would say most of the time that a high-level athlete just d- d- doesn't perform, I-, I would say it has to. It either has to do with injury or it has to do with some sort of background stress. And even if it's even like if you're looking at a solo sport like weightlifting, I can't. I can't. I. I you know, there's no such thing as bad teams. It's just bad leaders. You know. Right. So it's. As a coach, you know, as a coach and, and going forward and, and whatever it is that you want to do and, and how you want to coach your athletes, you have to remember that. You have to remember that your athletes only do as good as, as you allow them to. You know, they're limited to your knowledge and your experience and 
you you have to be willing to you you really do have to be willing to continue to learn and continue to try and fail yeah i think it's all just being able to be open-minded and it's a tough balance because part of you wants to be firm in what you believe as a coach but i think that it's also important to remember that there's so many other ways and there's so many other uh tools that you can utilize to improve whatever it is that you already have set in stone to be even better than it is and that all goes with knowing your athlete knowing what your athlete can handle knowing when your athlete is able to step up or maybe when it's too much it's all just communicating checking in with your athletes seeing how they're doing in the outside parts of their life not just in the sport that they're in but what's going on outside of this because at the end of the day we're all gonna like it's it's weightlifting is great cheers great but we're trying to impact people not just teach them how to be athletic and the only way to do that is to figure them out in all walks of life and i think that it's so important that you are constantly communicating which opens the line of like also involving them in trying to figure out what they feel they also need who makes a bigger impact who makes a bigger impact a bad coach or a good coach because i can sit here and i can think of that is such a good question i can can think of both scenarios i I can sit here and think of every time like every bad coach or every bad thing a coach has said to me that has personally like hurt me like hurt my feelings right and then and like i can sit here and, and think of the time where you know like my coach when i got hurt my head football coach was like they were making peanut butter jelly sandwiches and i went in and got one and he looks at me he's like why are you eating those are for people who play and he fucking told me that and i was like in my head i was i was like i was taken aback and in my head i was like fuck you bro like you piece of shit but and then i'm sitting here trying to think of all the good stuff that like all the good stuff that my coaches have said or have done positively and I can't, like, I can't really think of any, like, not saying that they didn't do a good job, but it's like, that's kind of what a coach is supposed to do. Like, a good, could be in a good coach is kind of like a thankless job well, because it's, it is. that's your job. It is, but something that. But you fuck it up. No, but something, you know what's crazy is we're trying to have an impact and we're trying to help guide, and this is, again, talking from coaching cheer. I'm trying to guide these athletes to go in the right direction and, you know, realize their own capability. At the end of the day, it's not my job to teach lessons. And that's really weird to say because you're like, well, what do you mean? You're a coach. That's exactly your job. It's not. Sage just said it before, and it was something that I really loved. It's not my job to teach a lesson. It is my job to help you navigate how to approach the lessons that life gives you. I don't give you those lessons. Life gives them to you. So when I think about that question, is it more beneficial to have a good coach or a bad coach? I didn't say beneficial. I said which one is like, which one's more effective? Like which one's there? Same thing. No. no. Which one do you feel affects you more in the long run? Um, I would say. Because everyone can think of the bad stuff that people said. How many times do you think I don't think that that's. No, I don't think that there is a correct answer i think it's perspective because i can think about pros and cons of both when it comes to a bad coach i think a bad coach is extremely important because it teaches you 
you, you go through the pain of believing or identifying yourself as all these things that you're not because you trust that person. So you believe what they tell you and that's why it hurts, right? That's why they're a bad coach because they affected you in a negative way. Even if they didn't intend to, that's what happened. But then as you slowly stay with it that because most, you care. That because tried to hurt me. Yeah, because you care and people who are invested care, which means that you still want to stay in what you're doing. You're going to continue and you're going to realize you're not those things. And then you're going to know exactly how to approach it with your athletes in the future. Have like, if you make the decision to coach and be in that position and then you have good coaches who can tell you all the best things in the world, but then you not be slightly prepared for the negative that comes with what you do or having to approach a kid in a different way. It all, it's all perspective. It really depends on how you choose to see it, take it, and apply it. Because you can apply both of those in a positive way. You can apply both of those in a negative way. It's all up to you. So all, all I wanted was a fucking peanut butter jelly sandwich. That's all I wanted. I was hungry. <sighs> that sounds bomb right now. Asshole. No, it makes sense. Kind of, I guess. I guess it makes sense where you can look at it both ways. Or you can apply it both ways. Because, yeah, that is true. Like... A, good coach can tell you all the good things but you can well, still like, not like you can still not apply it properly right and then a bad coach can tell you how to do it wrong and then you kind of go about your own way and finding the right way to do it so i guess you learn both ways right well like, and that kind of goes to what do people consider a mental athlete people could give you multiple lists that are completely different but would all fall under the same category what is a bad coach People could be like, oh, you're a bad coach because you yell at the kids all the time. Okay, well, those kids are now... These kids are bitches, bro. They can't take or it. these kids are on the money with instruction. So is that coach really a bad coach? No. He's assertive or she's assertive. Or, oh, it's he's a bad coach or she's a bad coach because they're conditioning for punishment. You shouldn't associate conditioning with punishment. No, that's called motivational consequences. And now those kids know... Hey, I want to do this right so that I don't condition. That sounds fucked up. Motivational sounds, consequences. Sounds like a terrible, terrible punishment. No, it's pretty. It's pretty motivational. But if it's the way that you word it, you tell the kids, "Hey, I know what you're capable of. I know how good you are." And you dumbass kids, didn't and do it I right just today. saw you do this. So if we don't hit it and be who I know we can be, we're going to have motivational consequences. And it works every time. The kids are like, we don't want motivational consequences. Yeah, because they know it's running. No one likes to fucking run, know, Megan. It's, it's burpees, bro. That sucks. <laughs> no, there's more. There's It's an assortment of things. but Guys, I know how good you guys can be. And if you guys make me look bad, you guys are all fucked. <laughs> we'll do motivational consequences until you fucking throw up. What is falling? Not an option. If any of my kids listen to this, they're going to freak out. <laughs> they won't. This, oh, they this, might. This is this is PG thirteen. Yeah. Hey, true. all you dumbass kids. Shut. Listen to Megan. I love you. Listen to listen. I'm to, here. Listen to Megan, and if you guys don't listen, I'm gonna make you do some fucking motivational consequences. <laughs> it works. Well, I think we taught. I think we we talked. I think we covered everything. Yeah, we covered everything that we our... know. And what's so cool about this podcast is because. I, this is something that I'm newly diving into and I'm going to research and I'm going to have a bunch of different programs and trial and error and work with different kids. I'm excited to come back and listen to this in the future and figure out what has changed and what I still believe. That's going to be super cool. We'll do that in like six months. 
When was the last time you were on here? For uh, talking about Rocky. No. Before, yeah. like, the our episode, yours and mine. Oh, uh, Q's. Yeah, Coach's but Q's. how long ago was that? Uh, that was a while back. That was, like... That was, like, six months ago. That was, like, six months ago. Whoa. All right, well... Yeah, we covered everything as far as yeah, we covered everything as far as mental athletes. So, I'm sorry if a lot of the stuff that Megan said was confusing because she talks it totally because she talks in nothing but cheerleader nonsense. It's true. And for everyone, it's code for everyone out there who thinks that, uh, who thinks that Megan enjoys being yelled at and likes motivational consequences, please, please bother her and. Hit her up on Instagram and yell at her and send her videos of you yelling at her. Do it. Yeah, I see that. She likes it. Um, <laughs> well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. This was a, kind of a kind of an on-the-fly episode. This was going to come out on Sunday. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. This will be Sunday. So everybody who doesn't go to church and is, uh, is uh, you know, degenerate piece of shit like <laughs> myself, you know, not going to church. <clears throat> oh, uh, this podcast will be for you and you can just listen to Megan kind of talk about cheerleading for a while uh, <laughs> just listen to her sexy voice yeah. um, but uh, I appreciate it and kind of like and like I said last time uh, I would appreciate everybody if you know just to help me help you just send me send me your weightlifting videos Send me your weightlifting videos on Instagram and, and Twitter and, and my website. Email that way I can uh, I can correct you because I just need to get a better coach's eye. You know what I'm saying? You learn. You know what I'm saying. You learn today. You know what I'm saying. So thanks everybody for for tuning in. I appreciate it, and uh, I'll talk to you again next week. All right. Have a have a blessed day. <laughs> have a blessed morning. Goodbye. Say bye, Megan. I say bye. Bye, guys. Okay. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.